Well, good afternoon, and thank you, Paul and Mimi. Good to see you all here today. And uh, let's take our Bibles this afternoon. I'd like to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Huh. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, and maybe it wants me to use this Bible. I want, the other thing is, is Mimi was kind enough to give me some new markers, so we're going to be good. We're going to be good, right? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. We're good now. So as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, We'll look at verses 1 through 4, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> begins this way, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. May God add a special blessing to reading his word. And let us just open in prayer. Father God, we give this time to you. We thank you for your everlasting love that was given to us from the epicenter of the cross. Jesus Christ hung there in all four directions that that cross pointed, four-dimensionally giving us an incomprehensible love. Father, it's just that. It's awesome and beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations, and yet you did it for us. And even before the foundations of the world... You had decided to do it. Father, these moments that we have before us, we ask that it would be a time of blessing, a time of, of refreshment, a time of ourselves relationally never have been closer to you. If there's someone here today that does not know you personally, we would ask that even that would occur today. Father, it is with just so much praise and honor and worship that we come before you today, and we ask that the Holy Spirit exclusively would be our teacher that our thoughts would be yours, and you would use them, use us, Father, in a way that would be glorifying to yourself. Thank you for those that have come out today. We ask that you would bless them and their families. And those that were not able to be here as well, Father, we just pray that you would undertake and hold them close to yourselves. Thank you for what you're doing now, and these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about <clears throat> the sense of getting in the race. And the way you get into the race is you trust Jesus Christ. And chapter 11 is all about faith. It's talking all about the hall of faith, if you will. Those that have trusted even before there was a Jesus Christ. They were looking, trusting God for what he would develop. And literally, as he comes to chapter 12, and it's with those as the background. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you're in a race. Get in the race. And that's what Hebrews chapter 12 is about. You've trusted Christ by faith. You have opened your life and given it to him, and now take that weight off. It says the sin that easily... In fact, let's go there for a second. I want, I want to go there for 
And I don't know how long today will be. Maybe it won't be very long. It's just a time of rejoicing, really, quite honestly. But <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, um, it says, let's go to verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, that word patience would be, you could say, endurance. Um, I don't, did, did any of you run track in, in high school or somewhere? Yes. Okay. And what, what did you, did you have, what, were you a? 440. Four, 440 relay. Okay. So there was four guys that ran pretty hard, right? Yeah. Are they supposed to, right? Supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> supposed to. The 100 yard dash is very, very different than the marathon, correct? Please say yes. Yeah, it's, you can't be wrong here. This is so, it's really simple. One of the things that sometimes we take off like a shot through the gate, and about 200 yards later, we fall into a heap. What it's telling us here is you have to run the race with endurance. Endurance. And you know, the best way to run a race, quite honestly, is with as little extra weight as possible. There was actually a Russian uh, sprinter that came to the United States some years back. I can't remember his name. And he, he was really, really fast. And he came to the United States, and he lost race after race after race after race. And they said, Do you, you know, that's got to be fun. Why are you losing the races? I mean, <laughs> oh, well, uh, you know what he said? You know what he actually answered? He said, I know why. He said, I'm three pounds overweight. Now, I'm going to take that as I'll go with just three pounds overweight. I'll be good with that, right? <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying? In running the race, and he's running to win. That's the other thing about a Christian. Are you running to win today? That's what Paul wanted you to do. Run to win. And to win, you got to do your best. you got to be in shape. you got to lose all of that extra. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about all the things that you have on part of you that weighs you down. I was going to have a, I got here too late, which that's not abnormal for me. You've noticed probably, right? I'm always late. But I was going to have a backpack, and I was going to have a bunch of rocks. So you're going to have to just kind of help me through this. But I was going to take that backpack, and I was going to start putting rocks in, see? And then I was going to put that bad boy on to where I probably couldn't hardly lift it. And then I said, okay, I'm ready for a race now. It's all of those things that would hold you back. You need to get rid of those things. Get, them, get rid of them. But there's something here that we want to look at today. And we maybe look at it even like next week. There's a sin that he says. Let's, let's again read it one more time. Oops, I went to Judges because we're going to be back there. But don't go there yet. Let me get back to Hebrews with you. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to, uh, let's look at this one more time. He says, let us lay aside every weight. We just talked about that. And the sin, the sin, this is one sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, it doesn't name it there, but let's keep our context. Context is so very important in the scriptures. So what has he been spending so much time doing in chapter 11? What's he been talking about? It's the hall of faith. He's, he's looked from, I mean, we're talking from... Abel all the way forward in the sense of Old Testament saints talking about how they remarkably lived a life in faith that was just astounding. Now, what would keep you from getting into the race? Unbelief. And that's the one thing that comes so easily depending on it could be a tragedy. For instance, I'm taking Josh and Kristen with Kristen. That's a tragedy. But she's taking it to make her better. 
She took the opportunity to get in front of 600 people and give her testimony about her and her husband, how they got saved and put a, a marriage based on Christ at her husband's funeral. That's the strength of God. That's amazing, isn't it? But it's not when God is in charge. Oh, man, right? Are you pumped up? That's what God wants you to be. He wants you to be excited, ready to go, run that race. But I do want to say that we want to, take, we want to diverge for just a second. Now, the opposite of faith is unbelief. But there's what I'm going to call some in-between ground that actually can take us and move us closer to Christ. And I've taken probably a more negative approach to this, but I'm looking at it today a little bit differently. And the word is doubt. It's amazing that when you look through the scriptures, most of the doubt... Now, I'm not, now on, let's talk about the difference between doubt and unbelief. Okay? Tell, me, tell me what you think doubt is. You know, I should probably open my notes now so I don't get in trouble, right? Well, tell me what doubt is. Describe doubt for me. Okay? It's a, it's a struggle to believe, right? Would, would that be fair? A struggle to believe. Or, or you're asking questions, correct? That's what I love about our two-seeker group, is, is I want it to be so open that they're free to ask any question. Because the more evident... Oh, I'm getting... No, I, I don't want to that's, that's later in the sermon, right? We're gonna, let's just talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> that's so very important. Now, doubt, and that's asking questions, trying to see evidence, that in and of itself is not a problem. We're going to look at some men that really had that issue. Now, what is unbelief? What is unbelief? Tell me what that is. What is unbelief? refuse to hear answers. I've taken a position, and I don't believe it. Now, sometimes it's interesting how we can take an unbelief stance without really taking a look at the evidence. Someone that just takes evolution for what it is, you cannot get to the bottom of evolution and believe its truth if you truly study it. You can't. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. But if you're doubting and starting... C.S. Lewis, he was probably one of the highest level of doubters you'll ever find. And he said, I came kicking and screaming to Jesus Christ because I knew he was right. See, doubt can lead us back to Christ. I want to go to a couple of guys today. One in particular. Let's just, through your memories, tell me someone that doubted... And you'd really were surprised by it. I'm talking in the scripture now. I'm not, by the way, has any... No, don't raise your hands. I've just asked, in the, in the possibility that anyone here has ever doubted, is this relevant? There's a few of you. You're just, you're really... No one's committing. Doubt is very, very prominent. It's very prevalent. It's the society. Not only is it in tragedy, but can be in the society in which we find ourselves living. There's a lot of things that can push doubt into our minds. In fact, I'm going I'm to be really honest with you. I'm sitting there, right, and there's this, and I'm sitting in this, down at the lower, at the, at, just right there at the bottom of the, uh, uh, the stage or whatever in this church, and I'm pray, I've been praying to God. I mean, it's just, you know, you know what one of our verses was, pray without ceasing? Man, I'll tell you what, the last two or three days, it's almost praying without, no matter where I'm at, God, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do next? And that's, it's such a sweet place to be. But there, I, I, gave, I gave what I asked God to give me, 
And I sat down and I was doubting that it was the right stuff. Okay? But I did something like Gideon. And I'm, I'm jumping ahead for a minute. I wanted a little more. I just, God, could you just give me a, just, was it what we were supposed to do? Could you help me with that? And he did. He really did. Right? He really did. So that doubt actually moved me closer to Christ. Now, do you have someone in mind? Now, I've, I've kind of tried to lose some time so that you could come up with someone that would doubted that really, quite honestly, was, I mean, he was really a man of God. Thomas would be one. Doubting Thomas, right? Have you ever been called a doubting Thomas? Because Thomas doubted Jesus Christ. He doubted that he had raised from the dead. And he wasn't there. One of the things, you might mark this down, that uh, doubt becomes reality in isolation. It develops, let's put it this way, doubt develops in isolation. When you're alone, it's so easy to doubt. It is so easy to doubt. And Thomas had missed this meeting of the disciples. He was absent. And, you know, now think about it. Let's put ourselves there for a second. So... The disciples, here comes Thomas, they come back together, and they say, Thomas, you won't believe it. You will not believe it. Jesus Christ was here, and he is alive. <laughs> now, see, most of the doubt is, comes from reality, doesn't it? I mean, let, let just, no, let's, let's, let's slip into, into uh, Thomas's sandals for a second. Just a second. What, what do you mean? He's alive. He was on a cross, crucified. What do you mean he's alive? Right? So what is, what is uh, Thomas? He's a reality guy. He wants to see stuff for what it is. Right? But here's the, here's the difference. Now, if Thomas would have taken his doubt and turned it on to, into unbelief, what would have happened? He wouldn't have shown up with the disciples again. But he did. And guess who showed up? Jesus. And, you know, Jesus, knowing exactly, he says to Thomas, Thomas, <laughs> it wasn't like, if any of you doubt, Thomas, put your hands in my hands and in my side. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Did you see how his doubts literally led him to a brand new level? How about another guy? How about Eve. Eve. Interesting. Yeah, and Eve actually would have taken that, what, and Satan put doubt into her mind. Did God really say? And what was, the, what was the, the, the bait? I'm not a very good fisherman. I'm really a terrible fisherman. Can anybody teach people how to fish? I want to learn how to fish sometime. Well, nobody knows how to fish. Good. All right, whatever. So fishing for Eve, Satan throws out this bait. What was it? You can be like God. And did he really say? I mean, he's holding out on you. You see the doubt? Now, what it did to her was literally moved to a point of unbelief that God meant and did what he said. Do you see it? And sin was the result. How about John the Baptist? Remember him? Let's talk about John the Baptist. What do you know about John the Baptist? He ate locusts. He ate locusts. <laughs> That's right. He ate locusts. That's true. Man, what a diet, huh? Wow. Excuse me? He lost his head ultimately. That's right. He did. What else? He wore camel hair. He must have been quite a sight, huh? 
got his lunchbox with locusts. And, and he's got a, I, I'm, I don't know, but I'm just thinking this stuff. His feet and his legs had to be wrinkled because he's in the water all day long. Right? Work in the water, right? But that's right. And very, but by the way, he had, a, he had a direct purpose and mission, didn't he? What was, and what was that? To be the forerunner. And what did he say about Jesus when he saw him coming to him when he was baptizing him? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. I mean, did he not know who he was? You better believe it. And then he said something that I think is a picture of humility, which we somehow should capture in this race. He said this of Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. Isn't that beautiful? That is a beautiful picture of humility. Now, would you say, that guy's got it figured out? You know what? He suffered from some severe doubts. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I have no idea where I have you right now. But let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. In verse 18, it goes like this, Luke 7, 18. And the disciples of John, that would be John the Baptist, showed him of all of these things. And John, calling unto him, two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying... Now, before stop, we need to stop for just a second. Where was John right now in verse 18? When we're, we're reading this, without me having to go find it, I can find it, but... He's in prison, and he's been there for a long period of time. Why? Because he was really saying some things about Herod that Herod didn't like. And so to shut him up, he put him in prison. Now, what do you know about prison? Not a lot of visitors. Now, again, this is John the Baptist. I just told you what he thought about Jesus, that he was a forerunner. He knew his position. He knew all of that. So now he's been rotting in prison, and he, a couple of his disciples come, and he's going to ask this question. Go to Jesus and ask, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? <laughs> Did you get that? Is that a doubt? Are you, really Are you really the Messiah? Was he? Yes. In fact, look what Jesus does. Now, and let's, let's keep following through. When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto you, saying, Art thou he that should come, in other words, the Messiah, or should we look for another? And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever should not be offended in me. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak on the people concerning John. What went you out into the wilderness for to see a reed shaken with a wind? But went you out for to see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled or live delicately are in king's courts. But what went you out for to see a prophet? Yes, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before my face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, did you see what he just said? He said, there's no one born of woman that is greater than John the Baptist. And did you see what John was just doing? Do you see how 
normal it is for Christians to doubt? What's the difference? John said to his disciples, go ask Jesus if he's the real deal. Now, if it would have been unbelief, what would have he done? He'd have taken position and refused to listen to the answer. The doubt actually, what it, you know what happened. His doubt led him even closer to Christ than before. Doubt develops in isolation, but it can certainly draw us back to Christ. It can deepen our faith. It's been said, believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. That's pretty good. Assurance is the reward of persistent seeking. I'd like to go to another man, a man by the name of Gideon. Let's go to Judges this afternoon, Judges chapter 6. Actually, no, I want to work back. And this is going to be a strange way I'm going to do this. You say that's not the first time. That's right. But what do you know? I'm going to have you define for me. Our board is empty, so let's start putting some numbers on here. Okay? Let's get our board going. Oh, you know what? I've got to use my new markers. That's what we want to do. We've got some colored stuff. So as I'm getting a new marker here, I want, uh, I want you to tell me what you know about Gideon. So in other words, if I go the wool and do, that'll help us through that one. He needed the sign. Okay, well, let's follow right. He needed a sign. Okay, what else do you know about him? There was, wasn't there? Now, I told you I was going to work at the other end, and that's where I thought we'd maybe start, but you guys knew the front end of the story. So do you remember what Gideon is known for? I mean, yeah, and this is. Putting, have you ever put your fleece out? That's where it came from. Now, the cool thing was, or what I really like, I may as well just let's get after it, right? Let's go to the very end of the story, right? And Gideon was used mightily of God. Just think of this. Now, this, these numbers are going to blow your mind. The Midianites... Came across, and, and what they did is, once again, the Israelites forgot God, forgot to check him out, forgot to worship him, just said, oh, things are great, don't need a God. Does that happen today? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But God on that day with his, special, with his chosen people said, okay, bring the Midianites. Midianites overpowered them, made life really, really miserable. We're going to get back to that in a second. And at the very end of this, the Midianites, does anybody know how many were in this army of Midianites that, that uh, Gideon, with God's help, conquered? Now, do you know how many that... That's right. So, well, I'll take any number right now. I'm, I'm not getting anything from you guys, so I'll take any number. How many ultimately would have been there on Gideon's side to take out the Midianites? 300 is exactly right. 300. And how many did he start with? That's exactly right. So now let's get this right. Here's a man that doubted 
and I'm going to go back and show you how much he doubted. And God says, he bring, and what he does is Gideon goes and he finds every fighting man available in his, in his old deal because the Midianites, they got this thing, right? Now, now I, don't want this, I, want, I want you to get this. Right now, the Midianites own Israel. They have already defeated them. They're there. They're making life miserable. And Gideon is trying to gather up men within a conquered nation to try to fight against them that already have conquered him. Do you see how easy that would be? But he musters up 22,000. And you're thinking, well, that's quite a few. What did God say? It's too many. It's too many. Because what I don't want, I don't want the Midianites to think that you guys did it. I want the Midianites to know that I did it. See, that makes, doesn't that, isn't that absolutely true in our own lives? I want God's, God to be glorified. I want him to get the glory. There isn't anything that brings more strength and energy to me or to you, if you're, if you're trusted Jesus Christ, than to know that God did it. That's where the strength is at. And so, did you see, you know, he cuts it down to 10,000, and then he cuts it down to 300. Now, none of you have told me how many Midianites there were, so I'm going to tell you. Does anyone want to guess? That was a big guess. But, see, for God, nothing's impossible. So, I'm going to tell you it's between 100 and 200. It was 135,000. And I'm here to say, because you know the end of the story, the 300 smoked the 135,000. Why? Because God did it. Now, how do you get to that level? How does Gideon get that kind of a victory promise and he stuck with it when he couldn't even know if he should do anything? And the cool thing was, for me, I'm saying cool because... Okay, God, um, in the morning, I'm going to put this fleece out, and if it's wet, then I believe you. So it was wet. Um, uh, pardon me, but I'm gonna, I want to put it out, and if it's dry, then I believe you. It was dry. Okay. <laughs> but I, see where we, I, want, I want you to see where he started. This is the first conversation that the angel of the Lord had with this man that has just now wiped out 135. How would you like to go into battle with 300 men? Oh, my goodness. How did that guy get there? I'm here to say his doubts took him closer to God. Let's go now. Let's go back to chapter 6. This is at the beginning, and let's watch this develop. Chapter 6 of Judges. And I I want you to see, just unfold this thing, we'll go to verse 1 of chapter 6. This is Gideon's call, if you will. It said this in chapter 6, verse 1, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and camped against them. They destroyed the increase of the earth and those all their crops, till there till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither ox, sheep, or ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents. They came as grasshoppers for multitude. And for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. It came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt. 
and brought you forth from the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abarazite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> I'm kind of trying to grind out a little bit of grain so the Midianites don't steal it. Watch how, watch how Gideon answers. Just watch this. Verse 13. And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all of this befallen us? And where be all these miracles of which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Right? I give up. You know, when you ask the why question in the Bible, Job asked the why question. Gideon asked the why question. You know, God doesn't answer the why question. He doesn't answer it. He just tells you what he's going to do. Because the why question, there's something about why. When you ask why, you are in the center point. You are in the circle of attention. When I say, why did this happen to me? Immediately, all the thoughts that I'm thinking revolve around me. God doesn't have to answer the why question. He wants you to know what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And when I concern myself with that, that's enough. Let's watch this. God says this to, to Gideon. Let's see where we're Verse 14, the Lord looked upon him and said, now this isn't the angel, this is the Lord now. And he said, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? He just went right around the Y. And now Gideon said, oh my Lord, uh, where shall I save Israel? My family, we're the poorest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. A little more, little more doubt going on? Did he really trust in God? Is he really fired up? The answer is No. Verse 16, the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as by one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. And he goes on literally for the rest of that chapter. He goes and gets him food. He does the fleece thing a couple of times, and it's just... I mean, he wants absolute assurity that this is what's going to happen. But I'm convinced that his doubt led him to the strongest belief because I'm sure there's not one of us in this room currently, right now, if you are, praise God, that I told you, okay, this is the deal. There's 135,000 warriors on the other side of Sheridan, and I want you to take 300, and I want you to do battle with them, and you will win. Yeah, if I said it, it wouldn't mean anything, would it? <laughs> oh, thank you, Ernie. No, it wouldn't mean anything if I said it. That's correct. But what if God said it, right? Would we be ready to go? 
That, Ernie gets me every time, doesn't he? He just nails me right between the eyes. No, if I said it, Ernie, I wouldn't go either. <laughs> I wouldn't go either. But do you see where I'm going? You see, when doubt is really struggling with answers and, and struggling to receive, if you keep after it and you keep seeking, through prayer particularly, you will get the answers. And you will get affirmation. Now, there is, there's some complexities of it that you can't know. Because we, his ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. If, if, he would, if we could understand everything God did, that's not a big enough God for me. He's no bigger than I am, or you are. I want a God that I can't comprehend everything. I want a God that's infinity. I want a God that is beyond the wildest imagination and power and wisdom and sovereignty. If I could understand everything he did, then he's not God. So I'm willing to give that. That was like those two men yesterday, or today, last night and today. They don't know everything about faith, but they chose to trust God that had shown his love on a cross to save them. And he honors that. And he honored Gideon. And he honors those that trust him. Let doubt lead you to him, not away from him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. I especially thank you for what you're doing, and you're actively engaged in winning others to Jesus Christ. Thank you for Kristen and Shelby and Jackson. I pray for those today, Father. My heart is broken, but I know you're doing a great work. We can see things changing already. Two men have come to Christ that Josh loved desperately. Father, we sometimes don't understand everything, obviously, that you do, but we know that you see it perfectly, and you've said that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Father, I also reach out and ask prayer for Jared and Angela, the man that I sat beside in the air, airplane going into Pasco, and the hurt and the challenges that they've been going through. Father, you know their needs. You know where they are spiritually. I ask that you would just hold them. Bring them close, asking them questions, Father, that would allow them to see their need for you if they don't know you. Father, I especially ask for each one that's here today that maybe there's someone that's not know Christ personally. In the quietness of their heart, they can communicate with you. Lord God, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about it. I know, God, that you loved me by sending Jesus Christ to die in my place on a cross. And, Father, I ask to receive that gift of grace now by faith. I put my trust in you. I repent of my sins. I ask you to take ownership of me. And if you've prayed those words, then you've become a brand new creature. Christ. You have a Savior. You're forgiven. Oh my, what a wonderful God we have. Thank you for what you're doing and how you're doing it. Lead us, guide us, direct us. Father, there, there's these folks here, there's challenges and problems that are deep and are very wide. But God, you are bigger, greater, 
than all. With you, nothing is impossible. And we just ask, Father, that you would hold, your, hold them close to yourself, that they would feel the very warmth of you as they, you carry them through some difficult, turbulent waters which they're going through. Hold them, Father. Let them know that you are God, that you're in control, ultimately and forever. Again, we praise you. We honor you. We worship you. For Jesus Christ, precious, precious. Sacrifice, death, burial, and ultimately, Father, with power, the resurrection in which we're granted a future that is glorious and beholden. For one day we will look in your face and see you as you are. Joshua Dykes today is not imagining what heaven's like. He's in your presence, surrounded by your glory, because Christ died for him. Take us and use us, Father, in our life's journey where you want us to be, to plug in. We thank you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name. Amen.